going to begin our time together with a question and a quiz. Some of you are thinking, well, graduations, you know, school's out. What am I doing taking a quiz at church? It's an easy quiz, kind of a fun quiz. You have to be able to count to 14, though. So uh, we're going to be able to pull that off? All right. So after this question, there's going to be a 14-point quiz here, and you'll have to count to 14. If you uh, run out of fingers, you can flip off your shoes and start counting toes. Here's the question of the day. Do you live life to the full? Do you live life to the full? It's a tough question because it might be a little subjective. It also might be different for every person. You might say, hey, I am living my life to the full, but your life to me is my nightmare. So, you know, there's, there's not one constant way of living life to the full. It's pretty individualistic, kind of subjective. But this is certainly the way we want to live, right? I mean, we want to live the life we have to the full. Now, there's been a lot of studies on happiness and fulfillment, and there are 14 basic common elements that make us happy and fulfilled. So every one of these questions, you're either going to get a point or no points, right? So it's pretty simple. Maximum you can get is 14 points. Again, if you have to use your toes, go for it. You ready? Here we go. Do you make time to do the things that make you happy? If you can say, yeah, generally I make time to do the things that make me happy, you get a point. If you say, no, nope, too busy, box all that stuff out, you know, you get no points for you. Number two, do you love your job? If you love your job, give yourself a point. If you don't, no points. Do you take a fair amount of risks in your life? If the answer is yep, you get a point. If it's no, no points. Do you tell people you love them every day? Doesn't have to be everybody, but just a few core people. I'd be awkward. But uh, do you tell people you love them every day? Do you worry about the future? If the answer is yes, no points. If the answer is no, I don't really worry about the future, you get a point. Is your family life fun? If you have a good time as a family, you get a point. If your family's a drag, no points. <laughs> Do you have a well-defined set of values and convictions? You kind of know where you stand in terms of values and convictions. If the answer is yes, you get a point. Do you get bummed out when people think poorly of you? Does it affect you emotionally when people think badly of you? If the answer is yes, no points. Are you generous with your time and money to help others? If the answer is yes, you get a point. Are you open to change your mind about important issues? If you are open to change your mind about important issues, you get a point. Are you jealous of other people? If the answer is yes, no points. If it's no, you get a point. Are you comfortable with change? If you are uncomfortable with change, you get zero points. If you are more comfortable with change, you get a point. Do you forgive yourselves, yourself, and others quickly? Do you forgive yourself and others quickly? If yes, you get a point. Final question, do you make fun of yourself playfully? Not, not you know, down on yourself, but you make fun of yourself playfully. If you answered yes, you get a point. If others make fun of you seriously, then you get a, a bonus point, so... This is an unscientific study based on a lot of different studies that are compiled. So here's the unscientific result. If you got 11 to 14 points, you can say with some confidence, you are pretty well living life to the full and good for you. If you got 7 to 10 points, you're in the tweener zone. You know, you probably have a ways to go in terms of living life to the full. If you got 6 or fewer points, take notes today because you need a new start in your life and maybe that can start today. Now, in America, we are known 
for living unfulfilled lives. We are known globally for living unfulfilled lives, which is bizarre to the rest of the world because we have everything, right? Our country is among the most prosperous, affluent, influential country that has ever existed on the face of the earth. And yet, Americans are notoriously unhappy and unfulfilled. It is so striking that there are studies all over the globe as to why Americans are so unhappy and so unfulfilled. Here are the stats. Love our stats. 70% of people either dislike their jobs or, un- or are disengaged from their jobs. It's a lot of people. That means tomorrow morning, Monday morning, 70% of us are going to say, oh, it's Monday, i got to go to work. That is such a drag. So much of our life is spent at work. 50% of Americans feel stressed on a regular basis and on a significant level. They feel stressed. Psychotropic drug use is up 400%. Now, some psychotropes are very necessary to get people stable and, and well, right? But up 400%. That's striking. Illegal drug use is up significantly, particularly the opioid crisis, which is just devastating our country. Over 10% of Americans admit to using illegal drugs every month. That's the admission. The number of overdoses, overdoses, particularly with opioids, is scary, absolutely scary. That's coming from a place of discontent, right? According to the Happiness Index, only one in three Americans are very happy. That is a low percentage globally. Older Americans report more happiness than younger Americans. In fact, the older you are, the happier you are. The younger you are, it's like a straight line down. Young generations who, you know, kind of have it all, they are not happy. Why? It could be the stress that's placed on their life. Um, they indicate a pressure with college tuition, uh, debt coming out of college, and a lack of jobs. So uh, they are not happy. of the citizens of the world are optimistic about the future, but only 67% of Americans are optimistic about the future. So get this. America is the economic engine that makes the rest of the world optimistic, but America isn't near as optimistic as the rest of the world. Something is wrong. Something is broken with with our soul, with our psyche. There's something not firing right because we are busy and we are hustling and we are doing stuff and, and Americans are changing the world quite literally, yet we are so unhappy and so unfulfilled. Something is broken there. Ravi Shankar, he is of Indian descent and he studies American unhappiness. And here's what he says. When people are fed up with their routine, and that's what he basically has judged Americans as, just fed up with our routine, and life seems to have no aim or meaning, then people get unhappy despite having so many physical comforts. We are oozing physical comforts, right? Our poor ooze physical comforts compared to the rest of the world. Yet we are so discontent with our routines. Maybe we're just getting into these ruts and we realize those ruts have no real significance. And as we gain in economy or lifestyle, we are not gaining in a sense of happiness or meaning or fulfillment. Now, some people turn to religion. Some people turn to God to have that sense of fulfillment or that sense of happiness. But even religion is failing. There are people fleeing religion for many reasons, but they're fleeing religion like it's on fire because it's not providing a full life or a happy life, right? In fact, more and more people are unhappy with their religious affiliations. Um, Wow, that just went bad. We are all, okay, I think we have a total computer meltdown. So we're just going to go right to, we're going old school here. Yeah, that's a hard drive crash. There's fire in that building over there. So get this. 
More and more people are unhappy with their religious affiliation. So the nun group, and nun is N-O-N-E, not the N-U-Ns with the black, right? The nun affiliation is now the second largest religious affiliation in America. The second largest are no religious affiliation. In fact, that has grown from 16% to 23% in just seven years. At this pace, the not religiously affiliated will be the largest affiliation in America within three years. People are running away from church. Why are they running away? There are several reasons why people are running away from church. When asked, 49% of people just don't believe anymore. 49% of people who have left religion over the last decade just don't believe it anymore. They can't take the mindless rejection of science. We talked about this here in uh, January in the One More Try series. Uh, Religious circles just tend to have a mindless rejection of science or even consider science to be an enemy, right? And they're just done with it. 20% of people who leave are disillusioned with organized religion. Organized religion has hurt them. Could be the politics, could be the business, whatever. 18% who have left have drifted because they're just disinterested. It's not meaningful to their lives anymore. It doesn't have any impact on their lives, so they just drift away unintentionally. 10% have intentionally left because of other priorities. There's other things that come up that they have decided are more important than their religious affiliation. Religion has even failed in terms of engendering meaning or happiness in people's lives. But here's the reality. God wants us happy. God wants us to live meaningful lives. God wants us fulfilled. He absolutely does. In fact, uh, in the life and ministry of Jesus, in John chapter 10, Jesus makes it very clear why he came. And when Jesus says, I have come that, okay, we pay attention to that verse big time, right? It's the very purpose for the coming of Christ. Listen to what he says. He says, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. Well, what is that saved life that Jesus talks about? He'll come and go out and find pasture. He says, I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. I'm the good shepherd. In other words, Jesus says, through me, I will lead you to the saved life of fulfillment. You can have life to the full. That is the definition of salvation. It's the reason why Jesus Christ came so that we would have life to the full. That is powerful. That is absolutely powerful. Now, Jesus is using um, an ancient illustration of sheep and shepherds. So on the side screens, I want to show you an ancient sheep pen. Uh, this picture is well more than 2,000 years old. And so uh, there's the, the sheep pen. No, it's not. There was no photography 2,000 Maybe that just wasn't funny. Okay, here's the sheep pen, <laughs> old school. Uh, the walls are made of uh, rock. There was no timber industry in Israel, so the walls were made of rock. So these sheep pens were very common during the time of Christ. You couldn't get a block down the road in Israel without coming across a sheep pen. Now, this sheep pen would uh, be the place that held the neighborhood sheep because if they were out at night, coyotes, uh, wolves, and lions that did exist around that time would, would you know, snatch them up, big-time snack at night. So they would be led into the sheep pen at night because it was safe. And it was warm, and you can kind of go to sleep with your buddies, right? Nice and cozy. Everybody's made of wool, so you're like, this is awesome. You're made of wool. Wait, I'm made of wool. This is so cool. Let's get cozy. So uh, that's, that's what would happen. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. That's what would happen at night. Um, now, during the daytime, they were supposed to be led out to find, you know, pasture and to enjoy freedom. But Jesus says, the people that I'm seeing are locked up all the time. They're never let out. And he says, this is religion. In fact, John 9 and 10 is this 
dialogue between religious leaders and Jesus. It's not much of a dialogue. It's a big old fight, right? Jesus is fighting with religious leaders. And he's saying, you are evil enemy shepherds. All you do for your own well-being is you keep sheep just locked up in this pen. They can't come in and out. They can't enjoy any freedom. They're locked up like slaves. Jesus says, you are the enemy, religious leaders, and you come to kill, steal, and destroy. But I've come that they might have life and have it abundantly. Jesus says, I'm the gate. You come through me. You get to escape the slavery of religion, and you get to enjoy the freedom of grace and the freedom of love. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. Jesus is our guide leading us to a full life. He's our guide leading us to a full life. Now, some of you who might be new today, you're thinking to yourself, well, how can somebody who lived 2,000 years ago lead me to a full life, right? That seems kind of silly. Well, I want you to understand some things about the life of Christ and the freedom that Jesus offers. First of all, we need to understand that in 100 A.D., so this is about 100 years after the life of Christ, uh, about 100 A.D., there was one believer for every 360 unbelievers. Now there's one believer for every four unbelievers on the earth. Did you get that? The life and ministry of Jesus Christ is radically growing, radically growing. Today, 25,000 people will come to faith in Jesus Christ, new followers of Jesus Christ, 25,000 every single day. The world's population is growing at 2%. The population of Christ followers is growing at 7%. There is an incredible movement of the grace of God through Christ that's happening all over this world. And so, yes, this man who lived 2,000 years ago is still our shepherd today, leading the entire world to the full life that Jesus came to freely give us all. So why is that? We can applaud that. So why is that? Why is it that this man who lived 2,000 years ago is still leading billions to, G, to, to this full life that he offered us 2,000 years ago? Well, I believe it's because Jesus kept it very simple. You need to know this. Jesus did not come to start a new religion. He did not come to start a new religion. Jesus didn't come with new systems of, of doctrines and commands and religious ceremonies and religious services. He didn't bring any of that. He just revealed a truth that had been long hidden and that truth is what gives us this full life that Jesus offers. Believing and receiving that truth, the simple truth that Jesus came to reveal, is the full life that Jesus offers. And it's an eternal life that Jesus offers. Now, he details what this truth is in John chapter 15. Here's what he says. As the Father loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. In John 15, Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples. He's equipping them because he's leaving them. He's gonna go to the cross, ascend to the Father. Jesus is leaving them. So he's equipping them to live and to share the full life that Jesus offers us all. He wants us to live life to the full, and this is the way to do it. This is the way to do it. There's a few things in here to note. Number one, Jesus says the Father loves. The Father loves us. He starts the section of John 15, as the Father loves, 
as the Father loves. Now, this is astounding, right? Because for most people, um, God is, is a distant force. He's an angry judge, right? Jesus, for the first time in history, introduces God as a Father, a loving Father, an embracing Father, an accepting Father, a Father who's for us, not against us. But there are those who don't share that worldview. Jesus came to, to bring it, but there are those that don't share it. There are people who believe there is no God. In fact, uh, Friday night, we got a chance to celebrate uh, the graduation here at Rancho Christian uh, High School. It was great to see all the kids and the parents just pack this place out. Uh, Jimmy Chemis was our speaker, and uh, he had been pouring his life and still does pour his life every day into our high school students around here. And he talked about different worldviews. And one worldview is a worldview that's humanistic. There is no God. There is no transcendent meaning. There is no transcendent fulfilling purpose, right? And so he says this. Now, I'm paraphrasing because it would have been rude for me on stage to take notes. But believe me, I'm saying it here better than he said it on Friday. (laughs) If we are to believe there is no transcendent God who has a loving purpose for his creation, then we are nothing but cosmic shrapnel whose only purpose is to be the best killing machine on the planet. He put it something like that. Shrapnel, whose purpose is to become the best killing machine on the planet. Isn't that that Darwinistic survival of the fittest worldview? We're here to survive. We're here to thrive. We're here to have our DNA just populate the next generation so nothing can get on, in our way. So survival of the fittest. We've got to be the best killing machines on the earth. There's no transcendent purpose. We're just shrapnel from an explosion just hurtling into the vast emptiness of space, clinging to survival. It's incredible to think of this. Just ensuring that we're the most fit to survive this senseless and cruel existence. That's the worldview that says there is no God. It's a worldview of meaninglessness. And a lot of people are in that swirl, right? There's another worldview that believes there's a God, but believes that God is a judge, believes that God is some brooding, condemning force. And I'd say this is most of the world. This is the trap, the the sheep pen of religion, and the gate is locked, right? God's just here to judge. God is here to confine. God is here to get you to comply and get you to obey, right? And if you obey and comply, God may bless you here and there. God may get you into heaven when you die. But if you don't, he's going to judge you, and he's going to condemn you fiercely. That's a religious worldview. It's a worldview of fear. So you have the worldview of meaninglessness, a worldview of fear, or you have the worldview of Jesus. And the worldview of Jesus says God is a heavenly father, and he loves you, and he accepts you right as you are, and he embraces you. He cares for you. He's for you, not against you. And so this full life that Jesus offers just simply begins with this simple idea that the father loves. I mean, it is radically mind-changing, world-changing, life-giving. The father loves Secondly, Jesus shows us the Father's love in flesh. Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. This is powerful. Why was Jesus sent from the Heavenly Father? Because the world needed to see the love of the Father. Without Jesus, the love of God is just sort of a fanciful imagination. It's just a theory. But then Jesus comes from heaven, takes on human flesh, and shows us the fullness of God's love, the fullness of God's devotion. And so if we want to know the love of the Father, we see the love of Jesus. We see how he lived his life. He lived his life of selfless service. He says, I came to seek and save the lost. He's going after the sick and the poor and the hungry and the outcast and the lonely and the sinner. He's going after everybody that everybody else rejected. And he shows love and care and kindness, selfless sacrifice to those people. Jesus shows us the love of the Heavenly Father. Again, in the upper room, Jesus is with his disciples. In John 13, 
Jesus says this. He knows that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. Jesus' job is to show us the full extent of love. And in the upper room, after this sentence here, after he gathers them together, he shows the full extent of his love by washing their feet. Here's the maker of heaven and earth washing the feet of his disciples in humility. He's serving them. He's caring for them. He loves them. And then just hours later, he gives himself to be arrested, to be tried, to be tortured, and crucified on a cross to take the sin, the shame, the scorn, the penalty of our failures upon himself and dies for it all. He pays for the sins of the world on the cross. That's the depth of his love for us. Jesus shows the fullness of the love of the heavenly father. Jesus says, as the father has loved me, so I love you now, live in love. Love is not just something to be thought of or or believed in. Love is something to be lived in. So Jesus says, now remain in my love. Remain in my love. And that word remain means to abide or to live in love. Now, there's a big difference between believing that God loves us and living in love. There's a big difference. There's a lot of people, I mean, millions and millions and millions, hundreds of millions of people. I believe God loves me. For God so loved the world, you know, they can quote a piece of John 3, 16. They believe that God loves them. But the invitation here from Jesus is to live a full life living in God's love. Give a little example here. I can believe my wife loves me. I can believe in my head that my wife loves me. She's hanging around campus, going all over the place, meeting people, talking with people in welcome centers. I can believe from a distance that she loves me, but then never go home. When I go home, I can live in her love. But without going home, it's just an intellectual belief. When I'm done with Encore after next service, I'm going home. My wife and I are getting in that fifth wheel, and we are going on a little vacation without the kids. We get to live, abide, and yes... Praise the Lord, God Almighty. Love my kids. You get to join us on Wednesday from Sunday through Tuesday. It's all about us. And I hope, you know, Aubrey, you can find somebody to take care of you. You know, you're nine years old. You'll find somebody. But there's a difference between believing that you're loved and living in love, experiencing love. Jesus says, through me, you get to experience the love of God. And we get to enjoy a little bit of that every single Sunday when we get together and we're singing of God's uh, grace and love and we're uh, speaking of God's grace and love and we're getting to know some friends and getting connected and serving people. You know, the way we highlighted with the Community Mission of Hope and food drives and, and uh, Imani School and across other side of the world and countless other uh, services we perform locally and globally to share the love of God. This is about living. It's a culture of love. We get to remain in the love of God. I want to give you just a little encouragement. I try to do this every day. I don't do it every day, but most days I, I, I nail this. I wake up in the morning and I say, thank God that I am alive, eh? Thank God I get to enjoy another day. And, and I just say, hey, God, uh, I want to live this day like I'm experiencing your love for the first time. Oftentimes my morning prayers include something like that. God, I pray that today we'd be able to experience your love as though it's brand new, Right? And most days I pray that, and when I do, it really d- tends to kind of color the day in a, in a lifestyle or a culture of love. I just want to encourage you to do that. It's a five-second prayer. It's not that big a deal, but it sets your day very, very solidly to abide, to live in the love of God. And then finally, Jesus wants us to enjoy a life of love, to enjoy a life of love, not just living in love, but living out God's love. Jesus closes John 15, this section, by saying this, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. 
My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Jesus wants us to not just believe in the love of the Father, seen through Jesus Christ. He wants us to live in the love of the Father, experienced through Jesus Christ, but then to live it out. To live it out, to live a lifestyle of love. To not only be loved, but to love. This is an incredible invitation, and this is the only way we will truly enjoy the full life that Jesus offers us. You run across somebody who's grumpy, I guarantee you they're not actively, overtly seeking to love other people. They're more interested in being loved and, have, and having others meet their expectations. And so they're grumpy because nobody's going to meet your expectations, right? We're looking at a lens through selfish uh, terms. If you want to really live, you want to really thrive, you want, you want to get over kind of that hump of negativity or grumpiness or solemnness, you want to really live a full life, then live in the love of God and live out the love of God. Spend your life serving, caring for other people. It is very hard to be grumpy when you are making other people's day, when you are serving other people, when you're kind to other people, when you are selflessly giving generously of your time and treasures, when you are making a difference in this world. It's really hard to be grumpy because God is using you to shine his love uh, to this world that needs it so much. Let's live a life of love, enjoying God and the life he gave us. Enjoying God and the life he gave us. I'm kind of a, uh, I'm kind of a news junkie. And so uh, yesterday I was flipping through news, as I do almost every night, and I saw this incredible article that Alex Honnold was the first climber to climb up the face of El Capitan in Yosemite without a rope. <laughs> when I read that, I'm like, did not just say without a rope. I mean, this is called soloing, apparently. And uh, yeah, that's appropriate name, you are on your own, not even a rope. If you fall, you're just dead. And it is 3,000 feet up a sheer piece of granite. Some of those ledges are no thicker than a matchbox. The ledges are no thicker than a matchbox. And the crevices where he has to put his hand in, some of those crevices are no wider than a half an inch, just inserting a knuckle. And that is how he lives, <laughs> Right? 3,000-foot ascent, a 300-story building. He got up it without a rope in four hours. He makes it to the top and does something that very few have even imagined doing. There's only been two climbers other than Alex who have even thought of climbing El Capitan without a rope. Both of them died climbing other mountains. He did it in four hours. Now, you look at that and go, wow, that is incredibly spectacular, right? That is absolutely a thrilling thing to think about. And I want to close with that story because I want to ask the question of you, what is your climb? What is your climb? Now, my climb is not El Capitan without a rope. My climb is not El Capitan with a rope. My climb is not El Capitan in a helicopter, <laughs> right? Uh, the top of my roof is about 30 feet. And it's, it's a pretty tall roof. And I get up there every once in a while. I'm like, I'm just, my heart's pounding. I am clinging. I, and I got ladders and rigs and harnesses and everything, Right? I mean, I can't even imagine. What is your climb? may not be El Capitan, but I want us to consider where our life is going, where the adventure of our life is heading, right? What is the pinnacle of our life? And for some of us, we might think, well, the pinnacle of, of my life is, you know, kind of career and achievement and perhaps money, lifestyle, things that I get to enjoy, kind of the American dream. That may be the pinnacle, and that is, is, is why you're climbing. And I want to guarantee you that somewhere up that climb, you're going to realize I am burning a lot of time. I'm burning a lot of energy, and I think I'm on the wrong mountain, it's not very fulfilling. 
I want us to consider that the pinnacle of, of the climb of our life is a life of love. It's a life of abiding in the love of Christ, proved in Christ as he gave his life for us to forgive us and to rise again from the dead to give us eternal life. And he gives us the invitation to live in his love and now live a life of love. That's the pinnacle of our life. So I want you to consider the climb that you're on and the pinnacle of the hill of your life. And, and I would love it if all of us would, would be able to say in the, in the depth of our being that the pinnacle of my life is a life of love and I have a vision of what your loving family looks like and feels like. Maybe for some of you, your family is not entirely loving and you've got some work to do, right? And the ascent of your life is to work out a family life of unconditional love so that you can love each other the way Jesus Christ loves you. That's a fulfilling life. Loving your kids unconditionally, your spouse unconditionally. Uh, have a vision of a life of love in your workplace. I mean, be kind and gracious at work. To be a person who's looking out for people who are struggling and help them. If, if somebody has a need in your workplace, try to fill that need. Be a person of love at work. Have a vision for that. A person of love in your neighborhood. Have a vision for that. A person of love in your church. I mean, we're a grace-based community. This is not some religious thing. It's a grace-based community that has received what Jesus Christ revealed, that God is a loving heavenly father proven by the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. He calls us to live this saved life, a fulfilled life of love now and forever. Receiving that love and sharing that love. Have a vision for that in your church and through your church. And it could just start with, hey, pick up a bag and fill it with food and bring it back, right? That's a wonderful act of love. Maybe take six bags, do a little food drive in your neighborhood, bring six bags back with you next week. Maybe it's going to the Imani open house and just kind of discovering what, what's going on in Kenya with kids, orphan kids that would not have a future if it wasn't for that school. You know, just show up, you know, take a, take a listen, right? Next Sunday, right here, 1230, right after church, just cruise. See what's going on over there. Get involved, perhaps. Live a life of love. Let that be where your life's ascent is taking you to, a life of enjoying and living out God's unconditional love for you. We're going to close in prayer, and as we do, um, I would, would just want to close in a, in a simple prayer of faith. Maybe for some of you, um, you've just been in that religious pen, and you need to be free, and you can be free through Christ, enjoying God and the life he gave you, having your life being a scent of love. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we thank you for your deep love for us. Thank you that through Jesus Christ, we see the fullness of your love. As he gave his life to serve other people, as he gave his life even on a cross, bearing the suffering and the sin of the world upon himself, dying to it, dying for it so that it's forgiven. We are forgiven in Jesus Christ and he rose again from the dead. It is love that rose him from the dead, conquering sin, conquering religion, conquering fear, conquering death itself so that we can live that saved life that Jesus came to deliver freely to us a life that is lived to the full, the fullness of life now and forever. We receive that through Christ and Christ alone. And now, God, I pray that the ascent of our life would be one to live in and live out the love that you have for us, to be kind, to be selfless, to be loving, uh, to look out for the needs of others, to put ourselves second, and to, uh, to live a life a little bit like the life of Christ, giving of ourselves so that others would thrive, to live for your glory and the benefit of the world around us. In Christ's name we pray, amen.